If you like what you're listening to, support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com, search Phil Dawson, or find a link in the show notes and join up. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Chapter 23, Circles of Protection. The Brotherhood of Gix summoned their master to Mishra's workshop. The priests did so only because Mishra, the artifice Kadir of the Falaji, was going to decamp soon, moving westward to the caravan city of Tomakul. The Cerinthian front had expanded into a full-fledged war, and Mishra needed to be closer to action. Already, manpower had been stripped from occupied Yosha, and troops were making the long trek north and west to the wooded shores of Ranum Lake. The Gixians knew of these decisions, for they had infiltrated most of the daily workings of the workshop and the surrounding factories. Over the past few years, they had become a regular part of Mishra's court and were for the most part tolerated. They had spun that tolerance into a web of information. Little came to Mishra's factory that did not reach the Gixians' ears and through them, their master. The mines were mostly tapped out now, said the reports from Yosha, and entire mountains were being stripped away for any resources they could provide. Similarly, the tribute of men and supplies from Zegon was drying up. Far-off Almaz had brought its own protection by sharing its mystic song mages, but Mishra was now depending on that nation for iron and lumber as well. Then there was Sarinth. There were official commander's reports of great dragon-like worms that haunted the forests, and light troops who struck from ambush. The city of Sarinth itself, immured to years of assaults from the Yumuk nation to the north, was as hard to crack as an iron-shod chestnut. There were other Cerinthian reports, these from Ashnod, and the harder for the Gixians to get their hands on, though not impossible. These reports were friendly and conversational, but they never failed to mention the problems of the current Falaji commander and the inevitable tragedy that would ensue if the red-haired woman were not immediately given free reign in military matters. Mishra held firm to his decision. He did not give her a command, nor did he call her back to his side, and the Gixians approved of both decisions. And last, there were reports from the east, from the passes through the Kerr ridges to Argiv and Corliss. The war there was a slow, grinding process, as two titans hurled themselves against each other. Urza was busy, of that there was no doubt, ripping huge chunks of the Argivian landscape to feed his own war machines. The land was ringed with towers that appeared almost overnight, each tower containing mechanical protections. The camp was awash in rumors that the Argivians were about to cross the mountains and the desert and press on into occupied Yosha. Mishra was forced to relocate his court to Tomakul, closer to the heart of his empire, closer to the siege of Sarinth, and further from the thinly defended Yoshin border. This last item was a bad thing for the Brotherhood of Gix. Such a move would disrupt their organization, which they had shaped into the perfect machine. So they gathered in their quarters, situated beside this spillage from one of the great iron foundries, and called their master. Their chant was logical and precise, their motions practiced and machine-like. They had been taught how to call upon Gix before they left Koilos, and the demon had left precise instructions when to call upon him. Now, in the windowless room of their small quarters, the twenty-four brothers chanted the proper dirges and motioned their hands in the proper manner 
carving symbols into the air. In return, the air winked at them, coalescing into a great pillar of blackish smoke, smelling of burning oil. There was the sound of crashing gears, and from the smoke stepped their master, Gix, resplendent in his living armor, his snake-like tendrils flexing and coiling from the back of his head. You have summoned me, said Gix. I trust it is for good reason. Gix moved unseen through the darkness of the desert night, a landscape hidden from the heavens by clouds of smoke and illuminated from beneath by the light of the foundries that ran around the clock. The great trees that had originally cradled the factories were dead now, their lumber sawn up and used to make catapults, rams, dragon engines, and other war machines. The surviving stumps had been hollowed out and converted to barracks and foundries and played with sheets of thin copper. There were still humans about, both warriors and slaves, but much of the work was now done by automatons, great clanking beasts that shuffled mindlessly from one task to the next. It was no phyrexia, thought the demon, but it was a good start. His followers had been correct. Once Mishra relocated his command center, he would be tougher to strike at. Further, it might take years for the human artificer to raise Tomakul to the same wonderful level of civilization that he had achieved in this region. Now was the time to strike, the demon thought, before the advantage was lost. Gix moved like a spirit through the empty hallways and mechanized forges. He left his children, the priests, behind after rewarding them with a touch of the dreams of Phyrexia. They lay in a stupor now, dreaming of their mechanical paradise. Gix moved best alone. Where he discovered, Gix knew that with but a thought, he could easily return to Koilos. He had gained an affinity with the desert caverns over the years, and simply by willing it so, he could travel there. He needed help from his priests to be summoned elsewhere, but he could go home at will. Gix allowed a narrow smile to cross his lipsless face. He thought of Koilos as home now, not Phyrexia, to which he could not return, not at least without first punishing the interloper, not without taking from the trespasser his valued stone of power. There was only one incident en route to the workshop. An automaton from one of Mishra's factories crossed before him. Sensing something unfamiliar, it stopped in place, worrying menacingly. Gix was uncertain if the machine had the rude sentience to recognize him as a stranger or if it was merely sounding an alarm as an automatic reaction. In the passing years, he had developed an understanding of these simple machines made by clumsy mortal children. Gix reached out mentally to the artifact, caressing it with soft words as a human would comfort a wounded animal. It did not matter if the animal understood the words, only that it understood the intent behind them. The priesthood back in Koilos had been rebuilding the old Su Chi automatons, and this one was little different from them. The machine shivered for a moment as Gix's mind touched the small shard of power stone that served both as its heart and brain. The demon changed only a few small matrices within the crystal itself, but those were enough to convince the lead-minded device there was nothing out of the ordinary and no alarm needed to be sounded. The automaton stopped worrying and soon scooted out of the sight. Gix entered the workshop, gliding past bleary-eyed guards who no more noticed his passing than they did the smokes that now rose from the surrounding landscape. The demon's feet did not touch the ground as he floated effortlessly to the thief's chambers, where his minions had assured him his prey awaited. Indeed, he was present, slumped backward in a work chair before a great board made of slate, a piece of chalk still clenched in his hand. Gix's mechanical eyes swept the room. It was filled with books, most of which were covered in a thick coating of dust. 
At the far side, near a heavy wooden throne, another man, a Falaji guard, was asleep. Gix nodded. One less being he would have to kill immediately. He moved toward the inert form of the sleeping Mishra. The human looked almost cherubic in his slumber. His beard was now flecked with bits of gray, and his hair was cropped at the neckline behind him. Mishra was wider now than he had ever been when he had entered Phyrexia, the excess weight spilling over his belt line. There were small wrinkles besides his eyes, and lines stretched across his forehead. The crown of rulership had rested heavily on that head. But Gix could scent an alertness about the man, even in slumber. His mind was working, dreaming of new devices and new plans. Even in rest, there was a sense of motion about him. The demon would have to move quietly. Originally, Gix had thought to merely excise the top of the man's head and scoop the brains out slowly, to make Mishra aware of what was happening to him before he perished. Now, seeing the man think even when asleep, Gix decided to merely slash his throat and take the Power Stone for himself. The Power Stone. It lay within a small pouch, hanging from around Mishra's neck. Gix could feel the crystal's presence, just as he could feel Mishra's, or feel the automaton's heart. The ordinary human across from the room was a statue, a lump of earth by comparison. Both Mishra and his stone exuded a sense of power that Gix could almost taste. The demon held up a finger, and a single needle-sharp talon extruded from his fingertip. He leaned forward, one swift cut, he thought, along the base of the jawline, from ear to ear. There was a noise, a humming so soft that only Gix could hear it. Beneath the folds of a human vest within a pouch, the gem began to glow in rainbow colors. It flickered to life of its own volition, the colors spilling from the gathered opening of the bag and bathing Mishra in its light. Gix froze for a moment, and not of his own will. The stone was aware of him, and he was aware of it. Somehow, it could prevent him from carrying out his plan. He pressed a hand forward, and with every inch progress became more difficult, until at last it was like pressing through a forged iron, solid and unrelenting. Gix shook his head in puzzlement. There was no indication earlier that the stone offered any personal protection to its holder, yet he could not lean forward and end this one's life. The demon changed his goal. He would take the gem itself and then kill the human for his insult. The gem seemed to sense Gix's intent and flashed brightly as the demon reached for its pouch. Gix pulled his hand back and let out a hissing curse. The stone's proximity had burned him like acid, and wisps of smoke rose from his scalded hands. Across the room, the other human stirred in his sleep. Gix tucked the burned hand under his arm, muttering in a clicking tongue of pain. Gix looked at the slumbering Mishra and let out a low, cat-like hiss. The stone offered some protection to itself and its user, at least from creatures such as Phyrexian. It burned him as he approached. No, not burned, thought the demon. It was attempting to recognize him and to dominate him, to command him as it had commanded the dragon engines years earlier. The stone, though itself unthinking, recognized his sentience, and it rejected him as dangerous. The rejection was the burning. Gix perched on the edge of the work table. The stone protected the man. The stone protected the stone while in the man's possession. Gix thought about it for a few moments, then smiled. The answer was to change the nature of the stone, or to change the nature of the man. The stone was half of its original, or perhaps its protective nature stemmed from that cleaving. It was seeking its mate, thought Gix. Perhaps it had somehow determined that Mishra was its opposing half. That would explain the wards that kept a Phyrexian creature such as himself at bay. Unifying the halves, the entire crystal would be restored, 
Gix could take it back to his homeland. And the man? Gix looked at the sleeping Mishra. Perhaps he could be changed as well, altered to something that would serve Gix's masters better as a live slave than as a dead example. Yes, it would take time, but Gix had little but time. Mishra was separated from his fellow humans by his intelligence, by his position, and by his power. Could Gix recruit him, and his brother for that matter, into his world? Would that not be a more fitting punishment than just killing them? Gix let a lipless smile spread across his face. Yes, there were more ways to kill a creature than just by ending its life. Sometimes all you had to do was give it what it wanted. Gix tilted his head back and barked a short string of clicking syllables. Within his body, small alterations were made, and he called out to the machines in the caverns of Koilos. They answered his call and pulled him back to their warmth and comfort. In an instant, he was gone. In Mishra's workshop, Hajar stirred and inwardly cursed for allowing himself to drift off. The preparations for relocating to Tamakul had drained the life from him as well as from his master, Mishra. Hajar padded over to where Mishra was sleeping, still seated in one of his chairs. His vest had come open, and the pouch containing his talisman, his multicolored stone, lay on his shirt. Hajar smiled and tucked the pouch back within Mishra's shirt, covering the Kadir of the Falaji with a blanket. The guard blinked and sniffed the air. There was an odor present, a mixture of burning coal and machine oil. Probably the result of wind shifting its bearings and blowing over some sulfur pit or workroom. Hajar shook his head. He, for one, would be glad when they were quit of this place and back under the desert sky. He checked the doors to make sure they were locked, then retreated back to his own position and drifted back to sleep, dreaming of that desert. In their quarters, the Brotherhood of Gix dreamed as well, dreams sent by their master. There were new orders, said the dreams, and it would require that they serve in Mishra's court longer than had been planned, but the rewards would be great once they succeeded. All the dreams in Mishra's encampment that night were pleasant.